Hello, and welcome back to Breaking Utopia, the audiobook podcast. I am Ian Patrick, writer of Breaking Utopia, and today we're going to go through the second part of Chapter 1, known as The Good Bandit. Let's get right into it. At the Bleeding Vine Tavern, about 600 miles away from Falmouth, in a little town just outside of the main Arkan city, known as Huxwell, was a lonely man at the bar. The man slurped down a powerful concoction he asked the barkeep for. Ominously, he stated it would get him prepared for what's about to happen. It's a blend between moonshine and no-bay whiskey splashed with lemon juice. He called it a twin snake. It ran down his disheveled face as he threw back his head for his third shot of one. The mysterious man was rugged-looking, yet his demeanor and calm tone contrasted his renegade appearance. From face value, his unkept stubble beat-up jacket would have you believe he is some dirty Casanova of the road. Yet when he spoke, it was in the speech of an educated man of stature. He loved to use this to his advantage whenever he could, like convincing a bartender to waste his alcohol on a ridiculous drink. So friend, bartender said, cutting through the silence between him and the lone man at his bar. You were in quite a rush when you came through those doors. Now you're sipping your, that drink like you got nowhere to be, he said curiously. The man at his bar took a swig of his wicked concoction, and with a breath he gripped onto a bag in his lap. I'm waiting, he softly said, looking down to his lap as if to make sure the canvas bag was still between his worn-down jeans. And what's, what's that you're waiting on, friend? The bartender asked. He didn't have to wait long for an answer as the commotion rang out from the street outside. Large thuds and creaks of metal on metal followed by a hiss of steam shook the walls of the bleeding vine. Sutter Malkoy! By the power of Tizzle Rainley and the order of Vancelot Forb, we demand you exit this establishment and surrender. A harsh voice wailed from behind the tavern doors. Barkeep, understandably, was left without words. The mysterious stranger, who he now could identify as Soren Malkoy, also known as the Wandering Wolf, or more commonly to Arkan Loyalists as that troublemaking pain, simply took one last swig of his twin snake and looked up with a coy grin on his face. That's what I've been waiting for, Soren said as he hopped off the bar stool and flung the canvas sack across his shoulder. The barkeep did not seem as amused as that troublemaking pain seemed to be. Soren creaked the door open to reveal a small, stoic-looking old man with a maroon, Arkan military-issued trench coat. Adorned with markings and medals of grandeur, and a large, hulking copper monster. It was what Soren would call a Tin Man, a type of special soldier with a steam-powered mechanical suit of armor. Usually they were used in battle, but today seemed like a very special occasion. Soren never felt so special. Soren sauntered out onto the tavern's porch with a gleeful smile aimed at the man in the trench coat. Colonel Krebs, he called out to him. I expected you about 20 minutes ago. I suppose your tin-headed friend has something to do with your late arrival? He said, 
leaning against the railing. The colonel gave an exhausted sigh. Mr. Malkoy, you have been found guilty of stealing collected tax from the Arkan Republic, and you will surrender the stolen tax and yourself to me. He said as if he rehearsed it on his way over. Soren scoffed at the disgruntled colonel, who seemed exacerbated with the whole ordeal already. Am I to surrender willingly or unwillingly? Soren asked from the porch of the tavern. Colonel Krebs seemed to have enough already and walked towards the steps of the tavern. Willingly or unwillingly, you shall surrender the tax and yourself to me. He grunted, fed up with the cocky rebel. Soren moved closer to the outer wall of the tavern. You see, my dear colonel, I only ask because I'd prefer not to surrender at all, which I know leaves us in a strange, peculiar predicament. Soren said, positioning himself between the window of the establishment and the colonel. Then you choose unwillingly, Krebs stated, motioning towards the outlaw. I choose unwillingly, unwillingly. The barkeep believed that with a tin man outside his establishment and a decorated man like Colonel Krebs, whose positioning in this town as the new chief of guard thwarted much of the crime, this situation would resolve quite quickly. He began to clean up the bar after his rebel customer and wipe down the area swiftly. This quick clean became much more of a job as glass from his window came flying across the bar counter along with one Colonel Krebs. He looked towards where the window once was to see a scruffy troublemaker staring back at him. Ooh, sorry about that. Soren said with an awkward smile before dodging a blow from the mechanical soldier and rushing down the street. The copper soldier and the colonel chased behind trying to keep up with the young menace as he weaved through the townspeople along the busy street. Soren made a quick turn heading towards the entry of the town and passed a statue of Commander Hine that greeted every traveler as they entered. The plaque underneath read, Arminster, the birthplace of the hero of Stonehill. They chased Soren all the way to an old farm on the outskirts of town. Quickly, the tides turned in their favor as they cornered him in the rundown barn. <sighs> There's no more running from this, Mr. Malkoy. It's time to give up, the colonel said as he began to finally catch his breath. Hand over the money and surrender. <sighs> Jeez, Krebs, <sighs> Soren said through his heavy breathing. When will you get the picture that a guy just wants to be left alone? <sighs> he said, trying to muster a coy smile through his heavy breaths. Give me the taxes, Soren. The colonel cried out, completely over the situation, and ready to go back to his old comfy office back in town. Really wish I could, old Krebs. Soren gave a wink as he pulled himself up from the hunched position, finally getting his breath back. You should really know me by now, though. The answer is always unwillingly. He motioned them to look up 
towards the rafters to reveal seven armed men with guns trained on them. The colonel and his soldier waved their own weapons wildly at the men in the rafters. Time to give yourselves up, colonel. <laughs> You're outnumbered, Soren smugly said as he watched them anxiously dance their weapons around from one rebel to the next. You bastard, you tricked us, the colonel said, his eyes locked on the enemies in the rafters. Well, I assumed the decorated colonel would want the praise for catching the wandering wolf, he said, throwing his fingers up in air quotes. And you'd most definitely bring your toughest guy with you for support. So, if I'm honest, you played right into my game. Soren chuckled to himself. You stole from the Ark and I stole from thieves! The joke seemed to die quickly for Soren. His eyes turned to fire right before the colonel. I stole from cowardly thieves making another town one of their rackets to support their bloodlust. Soren slithered his face inches from the colonel's, and with his teeth clenched, he spoke with anger, seething from inside. I will not sit idly by while you leech another town dry of their freedoms, of their identity, their hard-earned money. I'll be shot down dead before I see one more town fall to this empire. Krebs tapped the copper man on the chest and, with a whisper, commanded him to lay down his weapons. One day, Soren, the Arkans will stop you. The colonel raised his arms up from his pistol on the hay-covered ground. I doubt that, Soren laughed. I mean, come on, I'm one man. If you do, though, there will be another that takes my place. There will always be another. He spun around and retrieved a box hidden behind a bale of hay. Today, though, I'm still here. And tomorrow, so will both of you as well. He pulled a large rope out from the box. Just not so much clothed or armed as you are at the moment. In mere minutes, the colonel and the metal man were stripped of their weapons and armor and tied to a post in the rundown barn. Each of Soren's men lugged out the valuables as the humiliated colonel cried out, This is for nothing, you damn mongrel, nothing! Soren, with one foot out the door into a peaceful night, swiftly turned around. He could never step away from the perfect opportunity to gloat. <laughs> Says the half-naked and tied-up colonel. He laughed to himself as all his men carried on toward a hidden dirt path into the woods behind the barn. The people of this town are soon going to see money back in their pockets as well as their designated protector strolling into town in his undergarments. Soren said, trying to hold back a giddy laugh. It won't matter, Krebs answered. Oh, dear Krebs, it very much will. How do you plan on gaining obedience from a town that lost faith in your service? No, not that. Your actions, they won't matter soon enough. Soren blew raspberries before turning to leave. <laughs> yeah. All right, sure, Colonel. 
The Tizzo. He's planning something. Rumor is, it's something big. Something that will secure the Arkan rule when it's done. Everything you've tried to do, sprouting these little resistances up everywhere you go, they will be for nothing. The colonel said, his face showing sweet pleasure from the announcement. Soren kept his back to the colonel and the soldier who once wore the copper suit. He didn't want to reveal even a shred of fear that sunk in. And with that, he walked away from the barn and vanished into the forest with the others. Soren's rebels camped in a small clearing near the west end of the Daring Woods, close to a small lake known locally as Blinding Lake. It was known for how the moon shining from it would bring a beautiful glow that lit up the area. It was a good hiding spot for the rebels, due to the lack of civil roads near the west end of the woods, and the lake being more attractive and turning the eye from the woods. Good work today, lads! Soren cried out to his men as he emerged from the trees of the clearing. The men all cheered as he strolled up into camp. Almost in anticipation, one of the men handed him a tankard. Swiping it, Soren dunked the tankard into a barrel of ale and lifted the tankard into the air as his men encircled him. Tonight, he said, looking around to his men, we drink to you, the rebels of Arminster, and to tomorrow, a day that will live in infamy to all Arkans. The men roared with delight as they threw their tankards to the sky. Around the fire, in the center of camp, a small gathering of men sang along, with a guitar and a small drum. It was a tune familiar to Sorn, a hopeful ballad he heard from many of the rebel groups he traveled to and gave vision to. It was known commonly as the Battered Battlements. upon the battlements and this is what I recall not one man in none refused to stand on its wall upon these harsh battlements watching over the joyful men sing Soren saw Lexar Lexar was an enthusiastic young man with a lot of heart for the fight he's also known by the band of rebels in the camp lovingly as pretty boy for good reason, Lexard stood out among his peers. While most of his men around him would be known to the civilized world as brutes or dirty, Lexard would be able to blend in with most of the socialites. Given some cleaner and more posh clothing, of course. This is all for a good reason. Lexard knew much of the high society. He was part of it. Soren met the rebels of Arminster through Lexar, after some correspondence while Soren was in Goldresh. Lexar's education and cunning use of words seemed to work in his favor. He tended to be the unofficial leader of this group, and when Soren got to Arminster, he became Soren's second-in-command. Soren motioned over to the pretty boy, moving his body to the music which went from patriotic and somber to something more primal and vibrant in tone. <laughs> Are you enjoying yourself, sir? 
Lexar said with a chuckle as he watched the tipsy Soren unnaturally shake his hips to the music as he drunkenly sauntered over. Rule one of leading a band of rebels, my Lexar. Soren felt the words fall from his mouth in a slurry. Give yourself moments of enjoyment, otherwise it's a dreadful time. He said with a daring grin. Lexar laughed again and looked the drunken man up and down before looking over their men with a somber eye. I keep thinking of what comes next, you know? Lexar turned to Soren. Not after tomorrow, but after everything. Hitting them small, it's like flies buzzing in an ear. But it's only a nuisance to them. This won't drive them out, only irritate them. And it certainly won't end the Ark and Rain. Soren stood quietly for a moment, processing Lexar's thoughts and crafting his rebuttal. It's a marking of a leader to think bigger, he began. I won't deny it won't drive the Arkans out of Arminster. And of course, their reign won't be ended by a few good deeds to a small, poor farming town like this. But we aren't doing what we're doing for the Arkans. <laughs> we're doing it to gain the support of the people here, their, their trust, Soren answered. The two stewed on the conversation in silence for a moment, watching the men dance and sing around the campfire till Soren broke the pondering silence with a subtle nudge to Lexar's side. Walk with me, please. Soren said, moving towards the woods lit by the lake's pure light. Lexar found Soren staring off into the lake, his boot rocked back and forth on a small rock along its shore. In one hand swirled a bottle of Nobe rum he swiped on his way out of the camp while the other's hand rested gently in his jacket pocket. As Lexar approached, Soren lifted the rum bottle up to Lexar, continuing to stare out into the bright waters that swayed along the shore. Lexar took a swig from the bottle and handed it back to the scraggly wanderer. You'll be leading them again soon, Soren said without a glance to Lexar. He felt his heart drop instantly. What what was that? He said, trying to pretend those words were never said. This reaction was nothing new to Soren. More often than not, the guerrilla groups he worked with commonly and naively believed he would stay forever, or at least till a revolution was accomplished and won. Something sits on the horizon, Soren ominously said, turning to Lexar. I'll be leaving for Huxwell soon. What? Lexar said. His jaw hung in astonishment. What about tomorrow? I'll be honoring tomorrow, of course. But afterwards, I'm off for the city. What's so important that you'd leave like this? Krebs and his Arkan goons will retaliate, and these, these men are not prepared for battle. Then make them prepared. Soren quickly lashed out. 
throwing his head towards Lexar, who looked taken back from the quick show of aggression. Soren retreated his head back and turned his gaze to the waters again. With a sigh, Soren continued. I've taught you all that I can. It must be enough. Quiet frustration rode every word as they left his lips. What's happening in Huxwell, Soren? Lexar questioned him as he came closer to the wanderer with a worried frown growing on his face. Soren took the last swig of rum from the bottle and looked down at it somberly. Quickly he returned to a grin and laughed to himself before meeting Lexar's worried gaze. <laughs> I, I don't know yet. Oh, maybe it's nothing. But something... Something's telling me we need to get ready for a fight. And that concludes part one of The Charming Thief. There will be a part two. After that, we will go on to the last subchapter of chapter one, known as The Papermaker. And after that, we will finally get into chapter two of Breaking Utopia. I hope you guys have been enjoying so far. It's been a blast doing this with you. It's been a blast reading all of this to you. And yeah, you guys have a good one. See you next time.